everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. I'm super excited to talk today with David Lefebvre, who he and I go back a bunch of years. Um, let's see. Let, let me put it into perspective. We've judged competitions with Andrew Dice Clay, cooking competitions. I've been yep. asked to golf multiple, multiple times in Hawaii, which he knew the answer was no. Um, but no, it, it, I think... David has set a trajectory in Los Angeles, um, in the LA County area that has really set him apart from everybody else. And I think he's got an incredible background to, to share with everybody. And I've always had a great meal when he's cooking. I've always learned something when I've eaten at his restaurants. And I think that this is a great opportunity for David to kind of, I don't know, chime in and share why, because it's, it's, it's not an easy task to be able to create and be consistent for so long. Thank you. That was uh, super kind. I appreciate that. So David, what was it? When, when was the start for you? Like, you know, your little kid riding his bike around the neighborhood and one day decided, you know, I'm going to jump off the curb and, and, and be a, and be a chef. Um, well, I think ultimately, you know, I, I was raised by a single mom uh, I had an older brother and a sister and um, just kind of being at my mom's side all the time, you know, um, we were kind of, we were latchkey kids and we're in the house until my mother got home. And, um, you know, I was kind of, I was always hungry as a kid. And I think my first instinct to learn how to cook was just to feed myself. Um, but learning from my mom and seeing her make chowder and seeing her make biscuits and, um, just wanting to kind of know how to do that. Um, and then when I learned to cook things and then as soon as I cooked for somebody else, that's when I really got hooked with cooking. You know, I think it was great to satisfy my own hunger, but I think we all, all as chefs, like there's that moment when you cook for somebody else where people are kind of like amazed that you could do it. Right. Especially at a young age. Um, I think that, you know, that's really when I kind of, really enjoyed cooking. I mean, all through middle school and high school, um, was cooking. I cooked at my senior prom. I cooked for three other couples in my day. Um, I was a dishwasher, a busboy, a prep cook, um, a bartender. I was always in restaurants. Even, even when I went to, uh, college, I went to university of Wisconsin for engineering. Um, but I worked in restaurants while I was getting my engineering um, education. So you went to um, school for engineering. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I grew up, um, I started playing, uh, a stringed instrument when I was really young in fourth grade. And my sister, my sister played the same instrument ahead of me. And I kind of had that, she kind of led that path for me. She still is a professional, um, violist for, um, for the Houston symphony and, and the Houston opera. Um, and I was good at sports, um, I was good at art. Um, but when you, you know, I think back in the early eighties, when, you know, when you're in high school, late eighties, when you're in high school, they say, oh, you're, you're also very good at math and science. You should be an engineer, you know? So, um, <laughs> so I went, 
so I went to University of Wisconsin for engineering and, you know, look, two years in, I mean, you're taking, it's all five credit courses. It's really hard, right? I was doing okay. I was like a, a solid B plus student. Um, I just kind of looked around the room and I was like, I, I don't like, there's not, I didn't relate a lot with the people around me. You know, I was working extremely hard to get a B plus, you know, in physics and, and in, um, chemistry and calculus and differential equations and all these really tough courses and people around me were, you know, putting in maybe three quarters of the effort and getting A pluses. So, <laughs> um, and there wasn't just this kind of charisma and jovial, um, kind of personalities around me that I was used to. So, um, my fourth year in college, I decided to, uh, leave university of Wisconsin and, uh, I, applied to CIA, Culinary Institute of America, back um, in New York when they only had a New York campus. So um, that was an interesting conversation with my with my mother, you know, that I was going to leave engineering school my fourth year and um, go to the CIA. And uh, she said, well, why did you choose the CIA? And I said, well, it's the best. And she was like, well, that's convenient, right? Um, so um, <laughs> it's just like the same reason a kid would be like, I want those shoes. Cause yeah. they, they're the best. <laughs> it was funny. I was, you know, I was with my, my mother and my sister at the time. And my mom was like, well, where do you want to go to school? And I said, well, it's culinary Institute of America. Ever, all the reading I did and all the research I did was pointing to that, to that school or Johnson and Wales, but CIA seemed to have a really good food program. And, and uh, my sister who at the time was going to Yale graduate school. Um, my sister turned to me and said, what makes you think you can just go to the best culinary school there is and uh and I remember thinking like well that's easy for you to say you're going to Yale <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah so I applied for culinary school I went out there um and it just all made sense you know I'm a guy that learns kinesthetically you know I, I learn by doing it and culinary school was like okay, you do all the reading the night before, right? So you're doing it visually. And then you go on the next day and you've got a lecture. So now you're doing it, you know, audio. And then you actually go and do what you talked about doing. So then you do it kinesthetically. So for me, it worked out really well. And I found, um, you know, to, to be very honest, culinary school was a lot easier than um, University of Wisconsin Engineering was, um, but it was a lot more fulfilling for me. Um, I really found... Um, I really found that I, I love cooking, you know, and I felt I love the camaraderie and I love the artistry and um, the collaboration and um, just, you know, everything you did revolved around food at that school. There wasn't like a sports team. There was like an ice carving team and there, you know, yeah, right. It was just really submerging yourself, you know, into this culinary uh, community, right? And um Scoffier Society, right? You had the Escoffier yeah, yeah, yeah. Society, you had the Saucier Club, you had yeah. the Ice Carving Club. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Club. Everything revolved around food. Yeah. 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 Um but, so, and, what, know, and what I mean, this was at the time when you had to have it was a precursor to go to school that you had to um you had to have previous experience in the hospitality. Yeah. You wouldn't be accepted. They would say i'm sorry you're not allowed to yeah. uh, attend school unless you have worked in a restaurant minimum of a year yeah yeah and i had um i had you know worked in restaurants but i did have to go and um when i originally applied 
Um, I had to gain some experience before I got in, which was pretty easy. Um, I just went and got, you know, the before I went to culinary school, I was um, coaching high school soccer, um, prepping. I was a prep cook from like 6 a.m. till 2, coaching high school soccer from like 3 till 6, and then bartending from like 6 until 2. Um, it was well, a really – um, I, I, I didn't have a day off. I was working at least two jobs um, almost every day. And then maybe I would, you know, if I had an easy day, it was just one of the jobs, you know. Um, but that was one of the ways that I saved up for, for school and got the, got the uh, experience that I needed. And um, that was a really, um, that was a tough time because um, two months before, um, you know, two months before I was to start school, my, my stepfather passed away. And um, my stepfather had been with me since we were pretty young. Um, but, you know, I thought, geez, I, we, I was doing all this work and getting ready to go to school. And then I was like, oh, God, I can't I can't leave my hometown, leave my mom uh, right after, you know, her husband passed away. And um, it was really interesting. I learned a lot about um, my I learned a lot about my mother's look on parenting because she she came up. To, I told her, I said, hey, I can I can put this off. And, and the CIA told me, OK, the next the next class you can join will be uh, eight months away. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a big delay. And I talked to my mom about it. She said, look, if you don't do this now, you're never going to do this. And if you're not happy, I'm not going to be happy. So, um, she said, you know, let's continue to go forward. I'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Um, it was a really, it was really great because what, you know, she was teaching me was, you know, she appreciated me setting off one of my goals and one of my dreams to, to be with her. But you know what my mom, my mother's view on parenting was like, you know, her job was to make sure that I'm pursuing my dreams. Right. And so it was a, it was a really good, uh, it was a really, uh, it was just great to see that support from my mother. And so we drove out to culinary school and I started culinary school and, uh, and it went really well. Um, and then unfortunately um, that. So I went to culinary school in, I think it was February or February or April and February or May. And then um, that November, my mother, my mother ended up, um, she ended up uh, getting sick. She ended up uh, having uh, cancer. So I ended up having to take um, some, about three weeks off of school to be with my mom. And then she ended up, she ended up passing away in February, right before I started my externship for culinary school. So it was a really tough year because all this stuff was happening with my family. Uh, and, you know, at 20 years old, you know, I'd like to think I was an adult, but I really wasn't. Um, so I had to choose a, this is like the most pivotal point in my, in my career, I think personally, um, I had to choose where to go to culinary school. And I had to decide that based on being able to go and visit my mom because she was ill. And so my externship, um, you know, I had to find a place that was near Madison, Wisconsin, that I could have time off to go visit my mom when she was in the hospital going through treatment. And um, I'd interviewed at like four different places in Chicago. And I remember the one that I really, I really was attracted to was this restaurant called Charlie Trotter's. 
And I've never heard of that one. You want to tell me a little bit about that one? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, we talked about these restaurants and she said, well, you know, it sounds like this Charlie Trotter place is um, one you really like. Um, and she, she's the one who suggested this restaurant because he's, he was an alumni university of Wisconsin, which my mother went to, and I went to, and he was in like an alumni magazine. So, um, we decided, what year is, what you know, year is this? Cause I think that's really, really important. Wait, hold on a second here. I'm losing the on audio. I apologize. All good. Huh. I can okay. hear you. You're super clear on my end. Can you not hear me? Yep, I got it. Yeah, I just, I think I popped you on um, on speaker by, or off speaker. So this is what year that you're about ready to to, to do this internship? Um, This was 1995. Yeah. You're 20 years old. Yeah. I mean, you and I are the, are the same age, right? So, you know, you're, you're. 20 years old, your mom's ill, and mm-hmm. you have to make a decision to do an internship, or you won't graduate, right? They won't give you your <laughs> they won't give you your diploma. Yeah. Also, this is a pretty hefty conversation with your mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was because I mean, this is a you know, look, this is a point where she was starting to really weaken up and um we had this conversation, you know, it was like, she said, you know, this is a place that sounds real exciting to you. And I said, yeah, you know, I could just tell there was something different about that restaurant. It was just intense. And it was like, the food was amazing. And, and she said, well, it sounds like, you know, uh, it sounds like that's what you want to do. And it sounds like that's best. And I said, yeah, but it's an unpaid externship. And, you know, coming, my family coming from the Midwest, you know, um, especially on my stepfather's side of the family, like you're working, you didn't work for free. Like that just wasn't like, um, that wasn't one of the, that just wasn't really an option. But, you know, my mother said, well, that sounds like it's the only restaurant that would give me two days off a week. So I could drive back up to Madison to see my mom. And so basically um, we figured out a way you know, we kind of talked through it. And what we figured out was I had a, a really good friend of mine living in Chicago um, who let me um, stay at his apartment um, for six months for free. And there was a bus two blocks away that went right up Halstead to to Trotters. And then I had to find out a way to get home every night because we got out at like two in the morning. Um, but what we basically did was, you know, my buddy Ian Taylor, um, he let me stay with him. And I just lived pretty frugally. Um, but the irony of it was that was the last lucid conversation I had with my mother was about choosing that restaurant. And right after that, she, um, she ended up, um, you know, kind of her health declined and she ended up passing away. And, um, the irony is she ended up passing away the, the week before I was supposed to start at Trotters for my externship. Um, and I ended up, I ended up starting work at Charlie's the Monday, like two days after my mom's funeral. And, you know, I think the reason I ultimately chose that restaurant is because it was like the last advice I got from my mother, you know? So, um, 
So I started at Trotters and man, you want to talk about like, you're working for free. Um, you're low, lower than low on the totem pole. And, you know, I would show up, you know, I would show up to that restaurant between 9am and 11am in the morning. And I would finish between 1am and 3am at night. And I did that. Um, every day I went in and I thought I was going to lose my job <laughs> because I was so young and so naive. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up working there for six months and, you know, there were some guys who took me under their wing there, um, Bill Kim and, and, uh, Rob Boone and, um, Sari Zernich. And, um, they took me under their wing and, and I got through it. And then at the end of that, um, I did it for six months for free and it was the most valuable, best investment I've ever made in my, um, life because, you know, that experience, really defined what I wanted to be and where I wanted to go and how I wanted to do it. And, you know, I went back to culinary school after my externship there and it was like watching, um, it was like everybody else was in slow motion. Um, and not because they were not good, but like the stress and the pace that you get used to at, you know, basically a, a Michelin starred restaurant. Right. Um, I mean, I went back and I was like, I just, it was different. I was different. You know, it was like going to the Navy SEALs or something and then going back to your a regular platoon. Um, so, um, and Charlie was great. He, um, you know, he gave me a, a cookbook and he told me at the end of my externship, he said, Hey, here's how it works. Wherever you want to work when you graduate, you just let me know and I'll get you a job there. And I was like, anywhere. And he's like, yeah, anywhere you want to work. If you want to work at Danielle, if you want to work at Le Cirque, um, you know, wherever you want, you just let me know and I'll get you a job there. And I just I said, well, I want to work for you. And, uh, and he was like, all right, well, finish school and we'll, we'll talk about it. So I went back to culinary school and then he called me in uh, January in the middle of wine uh, class and asked me to join the team at Charlie Trotters, Las Vegas. Um, and so I finished culinary school and I went and worked with Charlie in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, which was like the first really high end fine dining restaurant in Vegas at the time. Um, I think if in that time in the MGM Grand, um, Mark Miller had a Coyote Cafe. It was Coyote Cafe. Yep. You had the Brown Derby. Yeah. Uh, you had Charlie Trotter. Yeah. And then you had. Uh, Emerald came. Emerald Lagasse had a restaurant. Emerald was there and so was Wolfgang. Yep. He had spot. Yeah. Yeah. And that so, was it. Yeah. That was it in, in terms of like, I mean, there's some old school joints there, you know, yeah. there was some like really OG restaurants, but you know, Trotters was, nobody was doing yeah. like degustation only. And um, so for folks to understand, to put it in true perspective, Charlie Trotters restaurant in the MGM grand was the only restaurant that had a bathroom in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so to, to, yeah, you to, didn't have to walk out into the casino. You yeah, didn't exactly. have to walk into the casino. And that was part of, and the reason I know this information <laughs> is because I helped open a restaurant in that space many years later. Yeah, so, right, yeah. So that reason that that bathroom was there, that was Charlie's request because he didn't want diners to be interrupted and be overstimulated by walking into the gaming floor and maybe stopping in gaming and not coming yeah. for their next course. 
Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting thing because everywhere else in that casino, you have to leave the restaurant and go to the, to the bathroom that's in the, on the gaming floor. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have a terrine mold from that property. Yeah, right. The the yeah, the tall, skinny, rectangular ones. Yeah, the, the Lee Crusade. Yeah. I have a Lee Crusade here at the house. <laughs> yeah, so I went to Vegas, and um, you know, unfortunately, I think that that cons the the guy who brought us out there, Lucille History, he ended up going to New York, New York from the MGM Grand, and the next guy who came in, and, you know, in Vegas, like you know, all of a sudden people change, and then their their priorities change, and so. Um, Before you get down this, I, I want to talk a little bit about your internship because yeah. I think that's really important. And, I, and I'm sorry to cut you off, David. Oh, it's okay. I think I want to talk about what it was like to take information through a fire hose as a 20 year old kid because I know what Charlie was like. Yeah. I know the intensity level that he brought. Yeah. So let's just put it into perspective for folks out there. Charlie wore a tie under his chef coat every day. Yeah. The very intense man. Yeah. Um, he traveled the world. He saw food all over the world. Mm -hmm. He had great mentors. But what was that like to be in an environment and you had Guillermo in the kitchen and you had Bill Kim? I mean, you had Larry Stone. You yep. had these giants. Yeah. Right. And so many people have come out of Trotters. Right. I mean, the list is endless. Right. Mm -hmm. um, what what was that like working in that? I mean, you all wore toques just like school. Yeah. You had, yeah. You had the full gamut. Yeah. So, I mean, really, look, it was an extremely intense time. And what, you know, everybody asked me kind of like, you know, what was the key there? And I think really what you what you developed at that restaurant was resourcefulness. Um so, you know, the, the, there were two main, like really big influences on my career. That was the first one. And the other one was when I went and worked in France. But, you know, going into Trotters, like back then, the highest tenured crew member at that point was Bill Kim. And he had been there six months. Um, there was massive turnover because of the incredibly high standards and some of the you know, I think a lot of people thought the unreasonableness of the expectations, but, um, you know, for me, um, you know, you, you'd go in there every day and it was like you were climbing Mount Everest. And then the next day you'd start over at base camp again. Um, and, you know, what for me, I can tell you a lot of people would go, would go in there, they'd start a couple of days and they'd leave. Right. They were just like, this is crazy. You know, it's too difficult. It's not possible. Um, I had an advantage because, um, and it sounds really weird, but at 20 years old, um, and my mother and my, my mother and my stepfather passing away in the last nine months, I had this mentality of, um, and it wasn't like I thought I have to have this mentality. Like this was just um, the way the this was just my situation and the way my thinking was is like I can't fail. If I fail with this job, my life will not work out. Like I was young and I was naive, and I was like, if this doesn't work out, if my externship doesn't work out, 
that means that I'm not going to be a successful chef. And that means I'm not going to be successful. And that means I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have a life, you know, like, I know it sounds crazy, but like, I, I was like, I was concerned. I wasn't going to have, um, I wasn't going to make it. And I don't mean make it as a chef. I just meant like, make it, you know, because, you know, my parents didn't have money. Um, so we weren't, you know, they, we had a little bit of money left over, but it was not a lot. And I just remember thinking like, I have to make this work. And so, you know, anything that kind of got in my way, the idea of like, oh, this is crazy. I can leave never entered my mind. Um, what entered my mind was, uh, I'll have to come in earlier. I'll have to come in earlier. I'll have to be more organized. I'll have to stay later. I'll have to come into my day off. I'll have like, it just, there just was this kind of innate uh, necessity to succeed because it wasn't just about getting a good grade for my externship. It was like my mentality as distorted as it was, was I have to make this work. Cause if I don't make this work, what am I going to do with my life? I don't have parents. I don't have, you know, anything to fall back on. And so, um, with that mentality, right. Um, it worked at that restaurant because a lot of other people had that same mentality for different reasons. Um, but you know, I, I'd have to, you know, I had to, one day we did this amuse where it was like three potato twills and you did it just for the kitchen table menu. And, and I'd have to come in earlier to make these things correctly. And then the next week it was like, let's give that amuse to everybody. So now I have to make 500 of these potato twills. And then the next week it was like, let's give that, let's do that amuse for everybody, even the vegetable menu and the grand menu and the tasting menu. And I just kept coming in earlier and kept figuring out a way to do it and staying later. And, um, and because there was just like, there was no other option, but to succeed. And, um, that ended up really making, you know, I won over some people in the restaurant, especially some of the other cooks. And, you know, Charlie barely talked to me through that whole time. I mean, Guillermo was the guy that would tell me what to do. And Charlie would say, hey, Guillermo, what's the extern doing? And I'd, I'd be like, I'm right, <laughs> I'm like, I'm right here, you know. Um, <laughs> I can hear you. I'm not, I'm, I'm not deaf. <laughs> but at the end, he pulled me aside on my last night and gave me Michelle Bra's um, book of 101 recipes. And because he had just been there and. He signed it really beautifully and, and he said, you know, here's how it works. Anywhere you want to work, you just let me know. And and I chose him. So I mean that's a, cool. I mean, that's I think it's it, that's a really you know, you were in a very different situation than a lot of other folks, but yeah. also you 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 created ingenuity. Yeah, you 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 what that restaurant it was taught forced you, ingenuity. It was forced yeah, ingenuity. What that restaurant taught you was like resourcefulness, right? Like, you know, I remember this is going to sound dumb, but I remember one time I was standing next to a sous chef in the restaurant and near, near some reach and coolers we had, which is also near um, some, some uh, where we stored some containers. And Charlie said, Hey, pass me a sheet tray. And I looked over to the shelves where the sheet trays are. And there were no sheet trays there. And I was like, Oh, there are none. Right. And the sous chef, turns around, whips open the reach and refrigerator, uh, pulls out a tray of onions, takes the onions off of it and hands them the sheet tray. Right. And I remember being like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Right. Like 
But like that was the mentality of like when the chef asked for something, you just got it, right? So like here's this guy reaches in the walk and takes the onions off, dusts the sheet tray off, washes it and gives it to the chef. And I remember Charlie looking at me like, sure you don't have a sheet tray? You know, like it's a very small thing, but you know, I mean, I remember the chef being like, you know, we need duck confit on the rail. And we were like, we don't have any duck confit. And Guillermo being like grabbing a duck leg, you know, jacarding it, seasoning it with salt and pepper, searing this, like just doing like a duck confit in like 14 minutes, right? Now we all know, <laughs> we all know that that duck confit probably, you know, didn't turn out the way we wanted, right? But there was just kind of like, there is no, no. And there is just this way, you know, this resourcefulness that you learn. And to be quite honest with you, you know, when I opened up Manhattan Beach Post, I remember everyone saying how hard a restaurant opening was. And I was like, man, this is a lot easier than it ever was working at Trotters. Um, so, you know, very, a very different, um, you know, a very different uh, way to look at it. But, you know, yeah, ingenuity and resourcefulness was learned there. Definitely. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about, like growing. And it's like, you literally were taking it from a fire hose. Yeah. And just knowing like the day you, like, I remember the day that I really excelled at those potato twills, like where I was like, man, I got it. I can come in a little later. They were off the menu. We served them for crew meal that day. And tears <laughs> on my face. So um, it was always and and I bet you in that moment, you thought to yourself, they know I got it. So yeah, exactly. Something else, yeah, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and, that, and that's how it felt, right? As being that young, I know, I remember that feeling of being that, that green guy. And it, it was like, oh my God, you know, what in the hell? I yeah. just figured this out. We got it nailed. It's so good. And chef's just going to switch it up because... Yep. Did they? Did you ever have the, the that situation where it was if you had a bad day that they would make you the focal point so you would get crushed? Oh yeah, I, mean, I had a bad day every day. It felt like, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I had a I, look, look. The he would do that, but the team would never do that. So, you know, Charlie was yeah. Like, look, I mean. He's an amazing man and I owe him so much. And, uh, you know, it's been 10 years since he passed away. And, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, he didn't look, I mean, you were shamed on a regular basis there. And, but I'll tell you what, your team, the other line cooks, the other chefs, the runners, the bussers, everybody else would pull together to, um, to make it work, you know, so, you know, if Charlie was yelling at pastries, we'd run off the hotline and go help with sorbets and mignard d's. Or if, you know, if someone, if Charlie was screaming at amuses, you know, the sous chef would come over and help with amuses like, and they weren't like, they wouldn't come over and like, get mad at you. You know, they'd be like, come on, dude, we gotta go, you know, like, gotta get the chef to stop yelling, you know, and then, and, and everybody helped each other. And because of that, to this day, you know, Michelle Geyer, um, Giuseppe Tentori, Matt Murgis, um, everybody that I worked with there were still really, really tight. And I mean, it's a long time ago, 
you know, I mean, this is 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And we still are tight, all of us. I mean, you know, even guys that worked at Trotters that I didn't work with, John Shields, right? Um, I'm tight with them just because I know what it's like. We all went through it. We know what it's like, you know. Um, I had a chef of mine at at Post, uh, at at Sushi Takatsuki, who – he said, man, when you tell stories about Trotters, it reminds me of my grandfather telling stories about the war. And I'm like, that's kind of what it felt like in a way, you know, like <laughs> band of brothers, right? Um, but I mean, it, it 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 was super hard. And like, look, at the time, I I probably, all the people around me, I, you know, I complained about all the time. And, and not only that, like I was, you know, I mean, there were times when I'm in the back of the restaurant, like literally doing some sort of prep and but, you know, look, this is also a week after my mother died. So I was also just a mess, you know, I mean, people would come back and I'd be like, I'd have tears, you know, doing something. And they're like, man, are like, and not, not a lot of people knew what happened. Like, so they're like, man, well, you're, you're crying over making 50 pounds of chorizo. And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I'm like, I just, you know, my mother died a week ago, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And so it was great because it allowed an escape for me to get away from everything. And it was so much pressure that like, I couldn't even think about um, what was happening in my family life that because I just had to make everything happen, you know, and it was look, you know, probably it was, you know, I, I probably wasn't dealing with a lot of feelings, but um, I had something to bury myself in um, and it worked out really well. And so I went back to school. Charlie asked me to go to Vegas. I went to Vegas and then um, Charlie Charles Las Vegas actually closed because another guy came in and they wanted to do a la carte food and it just wasn't, you know, it didn't really work in that aspect. So um, I talked to Charlie and, you know, at that time, all the major chefs went and worked with Fran- worked in France, you know, Thomas Keller, Danielle, everybody. And so I talked to Charlie about um, instead of going back to Chicago right away and working at Trotters to go in France. And so um, he set me up with... Um, one job in France at Bernardo Lazo's restaurant, La Cote d'Or. I got over there and I worked there, I think from February to like May. And then while I was working there, um, I wrote letters to like 12, 15 other chefs in France um, to try and get my next stage set up. And so I ended up doing uh, Bernard Loiseau and then Roger Verger and then Jean Bardet. Um, and I ended up doing that for about a year and a half and then traveling in between, um, in France at, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants. And, and, you know, it, it was just as difficult as doing mastership at Trotters, but in a very different way. Like, um, Did you speak Trotters, was that, Did you speak French? I spoke culinary French. Like I, I spoke a little bit of French, um, so like, here's the deal. Like I base basically what I do is I go in the morning and I would do whatever they told me. And I would think of all these questions I wanted to ask. And I would just write them down in my book, I'd go home, you know, we'd get an hour off for lunch. I'd go and I'd pull open my French dictionary and I'd figure out like a rudimentary way of saying that, you know, like how many, how long, what temperature, what size. Um, I'd learn those phrases and then I'd come back and be able to use those to kind of like help me figure stuff out. Um, And what that did was it really won me over with 
all of the chef de parties because I think they probably experienced a lot of people coming over and, and maybe not attempting to learn the language and maybe not trying that hard. And um, so I was like, you know, I was trying to learn French as best as I could. And and I, and I, and I'm pretty good with languages. I pick them up pretty easily. Um, and then I'm writing these letters to other chefs and then, um, and then I'm like, you know, broke, no money, just living in a, a room with three other Japanese guys that were chain smoking, you know, 20 of us using one bathroom. Um, above the restaurant, crazy. right? At, uh, yeah. Was it yeah. above the, above the, yeah. I mean, the shower was like a shower head with a curtain around it onto a drain in the floor, but it was in the middle of like a room, you know, it wasn't like a bathroom <laughs> and there's like 20 guys, you know? So you're like, were you a morning shower guy or an afternoon shower guy or a night shower guy? Like it was like, it was pretty crazy. But um, so I did that. And then I traveled through wine country a little bit, just backpacking. And then I'd go to my next job and I'd sink in there and then travel through wine country a little bit. And then I got down to Roger Verger and then um, I got to Roger Verger and I was finishing up there and I had like no money left. And uh, remember my sister wired me like, 150 bucks which for her was a lot then um and i had enough money to take the train from um you know from basically nice to paris to tours and then i got to restaurant jean bardet and they they had room and board for me but i had like ten dollars and so i had ten dollars to last me that entire work period there um so I was like, you know, I mean, look, I was going in work on my days off and eating crew meal because I had no money, you know, and my days off, I would just go and walk because I didn't have any money for the bus and I didn't really have any money to do anything else besides just walk around the countryside and go see stuff and go to free museums and um, write my diary. And um, so I did all that. And then um, at the end of that job, I remember Jean Bardet, he pulled me aside and uh, the kitchen toasted uh, toasted me with champagne. It was the first time I, I was, I actually was a chef de partie there, an entremetier. Like I worked my way up. My French was good. And um, I was, you know, I, I was like part of the team there. I wasn't just an extra. I was actually part of the team there. And he gave this really great toast and um and then he walked over, he shook my hand and in his hand, he had like a, a wad of money. It was like 500 francs. And uh, that 500 francs got me home back to the U.S. Um, so um, it was great because, you know, at Trotters, we learned this creativity and we learned this like relentless drive and we learned like um, making it happen and resourcefulness and ingenuity. And then you go to France and it's like the same thing over and over, you know, every piece of fish is cut and looks exactly like the other piece of fish the sauces like there was no just no inconsistencies you know and you'd have one guy doing just the sauce you know at trotters you were like grilling sauteing entremetier saucier you're doing all of that on your own and then you go to france and you're like okay i just have to do the sauce awesome you know <laughs> i just have to saute the fish awesome but you, you went know? from massive creativity push 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 to yeah consistency is king yeah and being like you know master of your craft at that moment one thing at yeah a time. it wasn't always about fast 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 it was about perfect 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 and in the allotted amount of time you know 
Um, so then I went back to Trotters in Chicago and I remember telling um, the sous chef, I was like, look, man, I've been doing one saw, like, you know, I've been in France and like, I know what it's like here. I know how crazy it is. Like, start me off in Garmage, start me off. Like, let me work my way back up. And uh, Charlie came in and he's like, this kid just came back from France. Put him on the grill. Like, so I went to the grill, which is the hardest station there and failed miserably for months and months and months. Um, David Myers was there at the time and Nori Sugi was there. And um, I, I mean, look, I struggled because it was just a different pace and just, you, you know, I had to really, um, I got bailed out by David Myers and Norisugi like every day for like six months. And then, um, finally at one point, you know, I, it's not like it clicked, but like there was like three between month three and six, like I was getting it, you know, and basically what that was, was coming in an hour earlier and another hour earlier and another hour earlier. And then it was sneaking a case of snap peas out to shuck them at home at night at two in the morning. Or, I mean, I was stealing product. I was taking cases of vegetables home, doing them at home and bringing them back in Ziploc bags in my jacket the next day and like throwing them in the cooler when Reggie wasn't watching. Um, and I, remember, <laughs> I remember people like, how did you get those snap peas done so quickly? And I was like, you just got to, you got to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. That's amazing. But, like, but I, I look, I wasn't the best chef at that restaurant and I wasn't the most talented chef at that restaurant. But again, like I, I think with losing my folks, I just was like, you know, I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to fail, you know? And, and I mean, I remember with my roommate, like shucking fava beans while drinking a beer at 2 AM in the morning for an hour you know, just because like, I can't get it done tomorrow. And, and like, and eventually Reggie wouldn't let you come in earlier. He's like, you know, don't come in until two o'clock. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, you know, like this is going to be impossible. Right. But um, the one thing about that restaurant is he kept raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar. And um, you just had to, you know, you had to stretch and you had to keep stretching. Otherwise, you know, you'd fail. So at this point you've been at Trotters now where, where's next you leave, you have, at this point you have to leave. You got it. Yeah. Go. So I left again when I turned 30 and I did a, you know, basically what we, what people call now pop-ups. But what I did was I did two years around the world and I did pop-ups at restaurants around the world that I had met from Trotters. Um, you know, I did, so I would go and do, you know, I'd go and do a, a menu at the hotel Fullerton in Singapore for two weeks at one of their restaurants. And then I'd be the promoted chef. And then I would go and I would work at Tetsuya Wakuda's in Australia and I'd stage for two to four months just to learn. And then I'd go and travel for four to six months. So I did that for two years. And, um, while I was kind of figuring out my next step, I got back to LA, Charlie, um, had a new restaurant in Mexico. So he sent me down there at, um, at Palmilla. Um, I did that for a year and I could kind of see, I was, I was supposed to be the chef of a new restaurant in the time AOL Warner building with Trotter. And over my time in, in Mexico at his other restaurant, I could kind of see that that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I left Trotters and I started um, looking at other restaurants and I got recruited by uh, King Seafood, uh, the water grill in, in downtown LA 
never wanted to move to Los Angeles, but I knew that this was like everybody who worked with that company had learned how to operate. And that's really what I needed to do. I learned kind of creative and I knew how to run a line and, and I knew how to like get the kitchen going for service and everything. But what I didn't know was I really didn't know how to fiscally run a restaurant, operationally run a restaurant, structure systems. And, and I knew that that job would do that. So I took this job at Water Grill. Um, I got to learn a lot of that stuff with that company. Um, we got a Michelin star while I was there um, for two years. And then Michelin stopped going to LA. And um, and that's when, um, you know, so I was there for six and a half years. And then um, another guy I knew Mike Sims, who I was friends with, um, he approached me about doing a restaurant in Manhattan Beach. Um, and then we teamed up and that's when we came up with Post and uh, Manhattan Beach Post. And so we did that. We opened up Manhattan Beach Post. And, and what, right year away, is this now? what year is this Manhattan when you opened? 2011. And um, we opened that up and it was like, boom. I mean, it was just busy. It was really busy. And, um, you know, a year later, the space next door became available, this little corner space. And, and I thought, wow, this could be a really cool little raw bar. You know, um, some of the iconic raw bars in America are really small places. I mean, in San Francisco and and out in Boston. And so we did this little uh, this little tiny raw bar next to Post. And at the time, we were like, there's not a really good raw bar within 12 miles of us. We're a block from the ocean. Post is busy as heck. You know, opening opening a raw bar here would be like fishing with dynamite, you know, just as so we named it fishing with dynamite. And uh, we opened that up. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the tumultuous reaction to the name Fishing with Dynamite. Yeah, people, there were there were people that didn't really like that. And, you know, what I said was like, if, look, if you look at my history with sustainability and you look at my history with responsibility of product, like you can't deny that we're doing the right work, right? And, um, but people still had some issues with it. And, um you know, once we opened, nobody has an issue with it. Of course know? not. But everybody well, with the name. But you know, it's kind of like never tell people what you're going to name your baby before they're born because they'll actually tell you how what they think about it, right? So, <laughs> you know, so I learned that lesson. Yeah. But um and I had some, you know, I got some heated frustration uh some heated frustrating conversations with certain people about it. But ultimately it was like, look, you know, I take food very seriously. I take, you know, I take the environment very seriously. I take my team very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. And so um, I remember one of my buddies, I was telling my buddy about it. And he was like, man, that's a person I never want to have dinner with. Relax. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And then like a year later, um, you know, a year later, another space became available. And that's where we did the Arthur J. And, and really, you know, like post, like I did the back of the house and I, I made some design decisions, but one of my partners, Chris, was kind of like Chris and Mike were more in charge of like getting the restaurant, the budget and the contractors. But when we did fishing, you know, basically we discussed it. And we said, look, this is a small project. It's about, you know, it's about a 600 grand budget. Um, but you're going to be the projecting manager. You're going to be the project manager on this one. And so I got to do the budget, work with contractors. I got to work with investors, work with. PR, you know, um, and do that restaurant and choose everything and do that. And that was really, um, great because I learned a ton, you know, I, 
I learned how to work with contractors and subcontractors and I learned how to work with the city and I learned how to work with designers. And um, I think that's actually a really, really good part right now you're talking about, because those aren't things that we're taught in school. Those aren't no, things that you're going to be mentored in along yeah. the way. And I think there's always that thought process and you, I'm sure you hear it, right? There's yeah. always, I can't wait till I'm in your role where I can do what I yeah. want. Yeah, that's not, you don't ever get to do what you want. You know, like you get to do, you get to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Like I'm I'm fortunate. I had a lot of experience with math and, you know, so budgeting and accounting and stuff like that was easy, easier for me, but I had good mentors with Mike and Chris and Tom. I mean, Tom Sims, one of my partners, He's the founder of Mimi's Cafe, you know, so he had over 80 restaurants at one point. My other partner, Chris, has Lazy Dog Cafe, which is he has over 50 restaurants now. And at the time, he had about seven or eight. Um, and my other partner, Mike, um, he's got Simsies and Tin Roof Bistro. So, like, it's a restaurant family and I got great mentorship from them. Um, but you don't get to do what you want. You get to do what's within the budget and you get to do what um, is best for the guest, you know, and what's best for the concept and what makes most sense for the concept. And I mean, I can, you know, I can, I can want to do a pickled, a grilled pickled lamb's tongue salad with, you know, dehydrated, you know, strawberries and arugula, but like, not everybody I can do that, but I mean, it's probably not the best decision. You know what I mean? Um, I might want to change the biscuits that I put on the menu 12 years ago, but you know, we do $160,000 in sales a year in biscuits. So like, is that really a smart move? You know, no, so drawn and quartered in the street, actually. on your all about balancing something that you can be really proud of and that continues to interest and challenge you while being good for the business, right? Because if you don't have the business, you don't get to do all that stuff. So, um, so we learned that at, I learned that at fishing. Then I did that at Arthur J and Arthur J was a much more difficult opening because it was our third restaurant. You kind of run out of time in the day. Um, and we didn't know it at the time, but a steakhouse takes about two years for people. It takes about two years for people to switch steakhouses if they're gonna. And so, um, through the opening of the steakhouse, I really had to look into, okay, what's our wine list doing? What do we need to change here? What's the menu engineering on our, on our menu? Um, I learned a lot because we made a lot of changes running a bar menu and doing daily specials and really learning um, different things that you can do to draw sales and to build sales. Um, and, you know, the first two years were really tough. Um, we were kind of squeaking by and um, trying to find, you know, find our, find our, uh, find our lane and, and really build our team at the same time and not have me work 16 to 20 hours a day. And, and then we found that right around two years, we found it, we kind of found our, we found our, uh, we found our groove. And now, I mean, it's an, that restaurant is, that's, it's insanely um, successful. So knock on wood. Um, But it took a lot to figure it out. Um, and it was probably that restaurant was probably the best learning experience because, you know, it's not like you're not, you're not doing like this passion project of one alone and being there all day. Like you've got three restaurants now. So it's like, man, I got to figure this out. And it's really about at that point, 
you know, it's kind of about being a restaurateur, not just a chef and being a businessman, not just a passion project. Um, but, you know, there's this affinity that I have for that restaurant because there's some, there's this beauty in the simplicity. Um, and there's this, that's the restaurant where I was like, wow, I learned so much opening that restaurant. Wow. But in a different way than I learned how to open fishing with dynamite, like just very, very different. I mean, they're they're you're navigating different channels for different projects, and you have yeah. different you have different consumer customer base guest base for each one. Yet they all may still go to each restaurant, but yeah. they all have different expectations at each restaurant and different experiences. So differentiation, consistency across all properties of hospitality, yeah. you know, while still being a fiscally responsible business. Yeah, and, and each restaurant was this foundation that I would build and to continue to the next part. So like opening post was going through an opening and what it's like to be the leader in a restaurant and working, not being just back of the house, really being front, like over encompassing front and back of the house, being team. And then fishing with dynamite was learning how to open a restaurant, but being the project manager and learning to work with designers and learning how to work with PR and learning how to work with um, contractors and accountants. And then Arthur J was okay. Learning how to, how to make it scalable, your time and how to lose the team around you and how to focus on three restaurants at once, not just one. And then, you know, the next restaurant was, I mean, and then it builds and it builds and it builds, you know? And so hopefully each opening becomes easier. Um, not easier in the sense that it's not going to be hard, but just like you're not, you're dealing with less surprises and you're being able to get ahead of it more and you can see things on the horizon and you can like, you know, like I can tell you, like, I don't know why I always would forget the shades in the restaurants. Like I, it's like, I'm just being a ding dong and not remembering to put sh and it's like now, okay. I don't forget shades anymore. <laughs> or the first kitchen I designed, I forgot to make spots for trash cans and like, okay, those are small things. Right. But then there's also like, you know, how do I need to communicate with all the other teams when we're going through an opening? So they understand that we're, you know, they're important and that this is about an opportunity for everybody and not just focusing on the new team. And, um, it's kind of, I, I mean, I guess it would be like having your second and your third kid, like you learning, you're learning more and more as you go. Um, and hopefully without losing, um, without losing control or without losing your effectiveness on the restaurants you currently have. Um, and now it's at a point where, you know, we were talking about this, uh, you and I were talking about this a couple months ago, but now it's about, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm not worried like I was when my parents passed away, right? Like I know I'm going to be okay and I'm proud of what we've done. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really caught up in kind of the the media aspect of it. You know, really what the business is, is about providing opportunities for my team, for the guys and the gals that have been loyal and strong and, um, doing the right work and, um, who are committed and resourceful, now, you know, opening up Ryla, our last restaurant with Ray Hayashi, who'd been with us for 10 years, like that's the next step for me is it's less about, you know, 
me and what I want to do. And it's more about how can I facilitate that same experience that I went through for, you know, talented, loyal, humble, respectful people that have worked with me. And that that's Ray. So now we opened up Ryla and Ray's an equity partner and that's his concept. Um, and I'm really looking at how can I support him and facilitate, you know, his success while still using the structures and the tools that we've learned over the last 12 years. And um, so Ryla has been a, a really great success in Hermosa. And now we're doing the exact same thing with our next restaurant, um, Adagirl, with um, Chef Alice Mai, who's been with us for seven years. So those are the moments for me that, um, I mean, I've had proud moments in my career, but not like the not like the moment Ryla opened and seeing Ray Hayashi and, and and his success there. And and I know I'll have that same amount of pride when Alice opens up at a girl and she, you know, it's really about everything we do is about making the lives of the people around us better. And, you know, I think, look, you know, you know what it's like when you get recognized for some sort of accolade and yeah, does it feel good? Of course it feels good. But like when you change somebody's future because of business ownership, you know, when they have a, when they see a different future for themselves, man, that's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling to me than like having that impact, you know, and, and being able to see someone's like, see a light bulb go off, like, oh my God, my life is like this, you know, my life's going to be different now, you know, and I'm not going to have to worry about my kids as much. And um, so like, I think, you know, look, 20 years from now, if I'm sitting on some porch, drinking some whiskey on a rocking chair, I'm going to be looking back and there's going to be, you know, I'm going to look back at my time at Trotters and laugh and cry at the same time. And I'm going to look back at my time in France and really be enamored about that. And my trip around the world, I'm going to, that's going to be amazing. But I really think the, the, the stuff that I'm going to be really proud of is help facilitating, you know, a different, a different livelihood for, for people like Ray and people like Ray Hayashi and, and Alice Mai and, and Nick DeLulo and, and these people who are part of our team now that um, they may not have thought those things possible. And um, that's what I find like purposeful, you know, versus, you know, got nominated for a James Beard Award. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But like, that's, you know, I'd, I'd much you know, the satisfaction I get out of working with these guys is is just, it really hits home inside, you know. You're, you're giving them an opportunity with a safety net of built-in infrastructure and many years of education that you have for them to succeed as a mentor and as a partner. Yeah, that's the goal, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that that's amazing. You know, there's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of us out there who wish we had that ability to do those things. You know, it's, um, well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have my partners, you know, like there's a, there's a quote that's by Abe Lincoln. And he said, you know, um, you know, my, I think it goes something like, um, 
you know, my, my, you know, my partners, um, believed in me and, and I never, I had never had the heart to let them down, you know, like, and that's the way I feel about my partners. They believed in me and I just was never going to let them down that way. And you can see that in Ray and you can see that in Alice, you know, and that's, um, you know, it's the one thing to have a great mentor, but it's another thing to have a feeling of, um, loyalty and you know like just i don't know how to explain it but like the 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 feeling of just like doing like i'd do anything for these guys you know um and wanting to be able to provide that for somebody else you know for for like you said for some people who you know like i remember looking thinking about opening a restaurant i'm like how am i going to raise the money man how am i going to do this and if i would have done it on my own it would have taken me 3 years and 3 times as much money and um because i had great partners it took 4 months you know and we were able to pay back the restaurant in less than a year so it was you know i was very fortunate that way and i just want to be able to provide that for somebody else because it made such an impact on my life yeah well, you're doing it Hope so. Yeah. There you are. Well, you need to go to work. Speaking of that, <laughs> we got to do, we're going to go through this. Okay. It's fast. Cool. There's no yeah. wrong answers. Ready? Yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Espresso, drip. Drip. Milk, no milk. Uh, I just switched to no milk. Pancakes, waffles. Ah, I can't have either, but I'd love to have me some waffles. Oatmeal yogurt. Yogurt. Bacon sausage. Oh, that's just mean, man. Um, sausage. Chicken, duck. Uh, duck. Beef, pork. Pork. Quail, squab. Squab. Hot dog, hamburger. Hot dog. Ketchup, mustard. Mustard. Whole grain Dijon. Wait, is there anybody who answered ketchup? Jesus. All right. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Uh, whole grain or Dijon? Uh, mm, whole grain. Taco burrito. Burrito. Pasta noodles. Oh, huh. Pasta. Ravioli dumplings. Oh, uh, ravioli. Yeah. Raw oysters, raw clams. Oysters. Lobster, crab. Uh, what kind of crab? King crab, yes. King crab, yes. <laughs> sea urchin caviar. Uh, sea urchin. Pizza style. Oh, uh... People are going to hate this, but New York. Meatballs or sausage? Uh, sausage. Red wine, white wine? Red wine. Light beer, dark beer? Hey, wait, let me rephrase that. Red wine or white wine? I'm going to say white wine champagne. I haven't even, you, 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 you can't, you can't. Well, champagne is a white wine, right? I, I, mean, yeah, I haven't even gotten there yet. Just red wine or white wine? <laughs> red wine, all right. Light beer, dark beer? Uh, dark beer. White spirits, dark spirits. Dark spirits. Champagne, Prosecco, Caviar, Lambrusco. Champagne, 
No, champagne, Prosecco, yeah. Yeah. Java, Lambrusco. Champagne. Ice cream, soft serve, or gelato? Ice cream, soft serve, or gel gelato? Cup or a cone? Cup. Chocolate, fruit? Chocolate. Honey? Fruit, fruit, fruit. <laughs> fruit. <laughs> Honey, maple syrup? Maple syrup. Favorite candy? Favorite candy? Oh. Um, Swedish fish. Yes! Finally, somebody else agrees with me. <laughs> I used to hand, we used to have a bucket of Swedish fish at Fishing with Dynamite, and I'd stick a skewer in and I'd hand them out to guests at the end of the meal. And then uh, I had a chef there. His name is Brad Matthews. He now has a restaurant called Bar La Cote in, uh, up yeah. in San Inez. And I remember like five, like four times out of five, I'd open up the Swedish fish bucket and it'd be empty. And I'd look over at Brad and he'd like just blush and he'd be like, sorry, chef, I ate them all. <laughs> They're addicting, man. They're so addicting. They are. Yeah, they are. Guilty, guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. What's your guilty pleasure? Um, You know, my guilty pleasure used to be um my my guilty pressure used to be like a ben and jerry's ice cream like a small pint of a ben and jerry's ice cream like but i don't do that anymore that stuff doesn't even cross the door front anymore <laughs> like it's the worst man i'm like you know i'm trying to like i'm trying to stay away from carbs and it's the worst it's the worst thing in the world for a chef like i i didn't become a chef to not eat carbs <laughs> last meal what would your last meal be? Oh, grilled ribeye steak, king crab, buttered sweet corn on the cob, and strawberry shortcake. I love it. Wow. So, no, no real vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> well, why bother? You don't need to. <laughs> last meal, man. Yeah. So if people are looking to find you, where's the what what's the what's the best way for them to find you on social media? Probably Instagram, Chef D LaFavor um on instagram is the best way yeah folks when you get a chance head down i mean you can literally just hang out in town and go from restaurant to restaurant you will never have a bad meal i have had incredible meals and a lot of fun with this man over many years and looking forward to many more so thank you so much thanks chris you know i gotta tell you every time that we get together uh, whether that's in Hawaii or Pebble Beach or wherever we're doing our events, every time we spend time together, like your energy and your positivity, and I just walk away feeling like a better person. So I really appreciate you and, and thanks for having me on today. Thanks. That means a lot. I appreciate it.